Well, I'm so excited for us to be back together again, and I would like for you to take a breath and then speak so as to be heard. Repeat after me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Okay, yeah, at home too, wherever you're connecting, Kindle Campus, Gables Campus, Church Online, wherever you're connecting, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen. This is good. Good for us to be connecting. Good for us to be regathering. And if you don't feel like time, it's like just not the right time just yet, then we want to bless you wherever you are. But I want to say what a blessing to be in each other's presence to so those of us that are physically regathering and to feel the lift and, and the, the song in the room. You know, there is power in praise when we voice it together. And I'm thankful for those of you that are doing that together today with me. Um, it also helps me, you know, I don't know if you've felt like this... Um, this, um, this draw, this pull, this like being sucked into the vortex of a low-grade depression that kind of settles over the culture at this time. It's so important for us to be lifting our spirits and remembering the one for whom nothing is impossible and to share that together. Um, do you like happy endings? I love story with a happy ending. Uh, maybe you've got some favorites that come to mind, you know, a story or a movie that, that when you get to the final frames, it just leaves you like feeling better. It's like, oh, you want to smile or you want to, you know, go get them or do you have one of those? If you're thinking of one online with us, you might just want to drop it in the chat or whisper a happy ending, one of your favorite happy ending stories or movies to, to somebody close by. Is one coming to mind? You know, the one, one for me, I was kind of surprised that it came to mind, but the first one to come to mind was the original Rocky film for me. You know, Rocky was just a working class guy who was sort of a, a, a small time boxer and his day job is collecting debts for a loan shark in like the slums of Philadelphia. And then he gets this shot, his chance to uh, go up against the championship, heavyweight champion, Apollo Creed. You know the story, right? I think everybody's probably seen it. And so I'm not, this is not a spoiler alert. He doesn't win the fight, but he goes the distance. I mean, all 15 rounds and the champ, he just takes hit after hit after hit. And when the final bell sounds, both of the boxers are still standing, locked in each other's arms and, uh, and then kind of agreeing that, hey, ain't gonna be no rematch. You know, but you know what happens next? Then Rocky peels away and starts, Adrian, Adrian. And then we see Adrian, and she's making her way down the aisle, you know, with people everywhere. Rocky, Rocky. We get to watch them until finally they are in each other's embrace, expressing their love for one another. And it's like they're oblivious, they're not even caring about the outcome of the fight. I think that's brilliant. That's awesome. That is a happy ending for me. Now, of course, we all know there is a rematch. In fact, there are like seven sequels from that original, and uh, it brings in something like $1.6 billion, which is a different kind of happy ending. Uh, but we're looking at the happy endings of the lost and found department of the Bible where Jesus tells these stories. So thankful to see some of you for joining us today. First time I haven't seen you in so long. 
But, you know, we've been in the lost and found department of the Bible. And in each of this, Jesus tells some of the favorite stories there, but each of these have a happy ending. Like he tells the story of the lost sheep who becomes a found sheep. And so there's a happy ending. And then this lost treasured coin that becomes, oh, I found it, a found coin. It's discovered, recovered, and then celebrated. And then there's the story of the rebellious son who had taken his father's inheritance, run and wasted it, only to wind up in a moment of self-awareness that brings him back home. Verse 20, I mean, it becomes a huge party and he celebrates. Well, look, here's how Jesus said it. Verse 6, Luke 15, verse 6. Shepherd calls his friends and neighbors together. Everybody he knows gets them over to the house. I found my sheep. Verse 9, when the woman who was so panicked over losing her treasured, precious coin finds it she has to call everybody gets all of her friends and neighbors come over to the house we're gonna have a party about this and then verse 20 when the rebel son comes home while he's still a long way off his father sees him and he's filled with compassion how did dad see him i don't know he's been out on the porch watching for him you know got his binoculars sees a silhouette in the distance when he sees him it says he was filled with compassion he runs to his son which is like breaking all social propriety at the time Senior gentlemen do not run, who are respectable, don't run in public. It's embarrassing. But this is a dad who says, you know, he throws custom to the wind and he's in the breeze going to his son, throws his arms around him, kisses him, and the next thing you know, dad has put his best robe on him, a ring on his finger, new shoes on his feet. He's got steaks on the grill. The music is turned up really loud so you could hear it in the field. Read the story for yourself. You'll see it. And then there's dancing in the house. In verse 23, this is what the father says. Let's have a feast and celebrate because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is a throwing a party. Jesus tells a story about father throwing a party. Anybody know a father like that? Please introduce me. Who's, who you have witnessed, experienced something like this. It's a party. Each week, Jesus has answered one question for us in these stories, all three stories. The first question we learned was this, how far is far from God? The second question was this, how sought S-O-U-G-H-T, is searched for by God. How sought out when God goes looking for you? How far does he go? And then today, the question is this. How happy is found by God? And to Jesus, those words are interchangeable. Happy and found. To be found by God is to experience some incredible happiness. So happy, in fact, in the stories he says, it takes more than words to express the joy. So happy that it takes more people. It's too much joy for one person. They got to call all their friends, get all their neighbors over. It's so happy that you got to get somebody else involved in it to celebrate it. The joy is too big. It's got to be shared. It's time for a party. What are we supposed to see? Well, I think Jesus may be trying to show us something about where the joy comes from. Because in each story, notice this, perhaps you'd like to read them for yourself a little bit later and check me on this. But in each story, the joy comes first from the one doing the finding. It was the shepherd's joy before it was the sheep's. It was the homeowner's joy before it was the coin. 
It was the father's joy before it was ever the son. Now, the coin, the sheep, and the son, they all had something to be happy about, right? But not the one who did the finding. The joy starts with the one who does the finding, not the one being found. And so just in case we still don't know what he's referring to, Jesus tells us, verse 7, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to. Now, one of the challenges of the Bible is that it's in black and white words and print, so you don't see facial expressions or hear tone of voice, tone flexions. I think when Jesus told this story, and he said here, more joy over one that repents over 99 righteous people who don't need to. That's how I hear this. It's like, <laughs> you think you're one of the righteous people who don't need to? You need it more than you know. We'll get to that in a second. But verse 10, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Who's always in the presence of the angels of God? Duh, God. That's Jesus is saying, God gets happy. And when somebody who was far from God is found by God, then joy rises in this sort of happy spike that God in heaven, in the presence of angels, Jesus wants you to know that God gets happy, that God has the kind of heart and soul that gets really happy when people who are far from him are found. Who is the father in the story of the two sons? God is. Who is the happiest character in the story when it ends the way it does. God is. And then from the Father, from God, it gets to the angels, and then it gets to the people. And I mean, I'm sure it happens fast, but, but the source of joy is God. And then it spills into our lives and beyond. And so Peter writes about, that, about it in this way. To know God in Christ is to be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. A joy that's unspeakable and full of God's glory. Or Paul writes about it like this. He says, godliness, that's that authentic spiritual connection in relationship with God. When you're really plugged into God, godliness with contentment. Contentment is a word that means satisfaction. In other words, you find all that you need in Christ when you're plugged into God and Him. Jesus doesn't only save, He satisfies. So Paul was saying, it'll bring mega profit into your life. That's what great gain means, mega profit. God, there's a happy thought there. So to John says, so there's Peter, there's Paul, here's John. He says, to know Jesus is to know fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. You don't have enough joy in your life, so God wants to pour some in by meeting Jesus. And then Jesus' joy gets in you, and your joy gets full. So what I'm saying is we're in happy ending territory when you listen to Jesus in these stories, he told these stories because he wants us to see. He wants you to see. He wants me to see that God wants you there. God wants us there in the happy ending. So then the question becomes, okay, how do I get there from here? Because here doesn't always feel so happy, right? Thank God we're not in the ending yet. That's part of it. Story's not over yet. But in order to get to today's answer, we got to back up once again into the story. So I want to go, go there one more time. 
and then ask God to listen, to open, help us listen, Lord, to open our understanding to what he wants us to see. We've learned some things about ourselves in these stories. We've learned some things from Jesus about how God comes after us in these stories and how we can be far from God, how that places us at risk. But today we want to learn something about how can we experience God's happiness in our lives. Now, I know you've heard them before, so this is dangerous territory because you may think, oh, I know how this ends. And then you're already checking out, like, I, I don't have anything to learn here. Can I ask you to, I've learned something studying these. I would like for you just to ask God, is there something new, something fresh for me today in these stories? And I can uh, maybe throw some um, opportunity out in saying this. If you've ever said one of these three things to yourself, you're in the stories already. Hey, it's only natural. Or it's not my fault. Or it's what I want, that's why. If you've ever said any of those, you're already in the story. And each one of those statements reflect how people like us get distanced from God, how we get far from God. But then when we get found by God, the joy is there. But the joy doesn't come until we deal with the reality of the separation. Three ways that we can be far from God. Number one, by nature. Number two, by circumstance. Number three, by choice. And in the first two case studies, we've already seen this, so I'm not going to take a long time here, but just to remind us, in the first two case studies, the sheep and the coin, those are passive recipients in the story. In other words, a sheep is misled by its own nature, nothing it can do about it. A sheep just follows its appetites by nature, doesn't have an internal compass, tends to wander and go astray because that's what's natural and uh, can be its own worst enemy, placing itself in harm's way without realizing it. And Jesus, I think, is saying the same thing happens to people. When we say, hey, it's only natural. I'm just doing what comes naturally. And then we think that this is going to take us where we're supposed to go, only to find ourselves at risk and in danger. It's the heads up from the story. Because if you want to get to God's kind of happy, you got to start from your kind of issue. And the first issue is by nature. Now, we don't ask for it. We don't ask to be born with an appetite-driven, fallen nature that leads us astray, but we got it somehow. Get to that in a moment. But here's what Paul says about it, Galatians chapter 5. The sinful nature, human nature, wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the flesh wants, the, the, the body wants. And so these forces are constantly fighting with one another. You relate to that? So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. In other words, our nature is off. Somebody gave me a gift for Thanksgiving. It was a, this cool pen. It has a, like a ruler with inches on the side and then some kilometers as well. But it has this level, this bubble, a bubble level that you can just set the, the pen on a cup or on a shelf and you can see if the, if the shelf is level or if it's off. Well, what Paul is saying is our nature is off a level. We're, we're a bubble off and something's not right there. So you really got to be careful when you say something like this, when you justify yourself by saying, well, it's only natural. 
I'm not saying everything that feels natural is wrong. I'm just saying be careful when you justify because that's where our appetites can lead us astray and then into even greater danger. The way Billy Joel said it in his song is we didn't start the fire, but it's always been burning and it still is, right? There's something that's burning. It's been burning for a long time in culture, in history, in families, and the Bible agrees that we got this issue of a nature that creates problems for us. In the Genesis story, our primeval parents made their fateful decision, and it's been burning us ever since. Adam and Eve chose to to aim the trajectory of humanity and all that would come after away from God, far from God. This is how the story begins. And so history then starts spiraling into chaos and destruction ever since then. Crime, war, disease, death. We didn't start the fire. But if we're honest, here's what the story is inviting us to say. It flames in you sometimes too, doesn't it? And you get burned. You get led astray and put in danger. and, And you realize that you really can't change it. Not in a way that lasts. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, history repeats itself. You know why history repeats itself? Because human nature is constant. Human nature hasn't changed unless an outside source affects it, which is in the story. You know, a sheep can't change its own nature, but a shepherd who cares for the sheep can come to the rescue and save it from itself, and that's where the turn comes. The passive is, I didn't start this, but I need some help if I'm going to see it fixed. If I'm going to get to God's kind of happy, I'm not going to get there by myself. i got to let the Savior come to my rescue. Case study number two. The coin did not lose itself. The coin didn't get up one morning and follow its misguided nature to tumble off the cabinet and into a hole. It was brushed carelessly aside. You know, it's like, hey, it's not my fault. Yeah. Sometimes people get far from God, and it has nothing to do with their misguided nature. Something happened that leaves them feeling distanced from God, the victim of circumstance. Its nature didn't leave it astray. But if a misplaced or a displaced coin ever said, I didn't get here by myself, it's true. And Jesus is saying the same thing. If you've ever said that, you're probably speaking the truth. Circumstances beyond your control have loosened your moorings or yanked you out of your settings and left you feeling devalued, out of circulation, like you might have something to offer, but you're not able to invest it in a way that brings value to somebody else. We know we have worth, but we feel like we're out of circulation. That's the second story. And you know, when you think about it, a coin like that, that is out of its setting, a piece of jewelry that is out of its setting, out of circulation, no matter how expensive or how valuable it is, it can't reattach itself to its setting. And it's the same thing with people. Sometimes we think, well, I got myself into this mess, I'm going to get myself out. But Jesus is trying to say, no, a sheep can't find its own way. And a coin can't reattach itself to the piece of jewelry. It can't help itself. Jesus is trying to say, you know, hey, heads up, you're stuck. You're helpless. But that's not all he wants us to know. The mess that you're in isn't your fault. You have been victimized by circumstance. What do I mean? Well, you didn't choose to be born, did you? 
You didn't choose your nature, that appetite-driven misguiding that happens. You didn't, um, you didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your family. You didn't choose your genetic predisposition. Those things were made by forces or powers greater than you before you even arrived. Something beyond you is at work. So in that same sense, it's like, hey, it's not your fault. But I think Jesus also wants us to know this. And have you seen it? Both the sheep and the coin need help from beyond themselves in order to, uh, to find remedy. Sheep need to be rescued from their nature, so also we do. A misplaced piece of jewelry that has fallen out of its frame needs to be restored to its position of value so it can contribute meaningfully to the home, to the life. So the manager of the house can restore you if you're willing to let it happen. That's part of the story's message. But in the third case study, hey, you're, you're now not the passive victim of your genetic predisposition or your nature or your victim of circumstance. There's another cause for it. Third story, your choice, your voice that has now set in motion the consequences that you're experiencing. So then he tells a story about two sons, and both of them are full of themselves. <laughs> if you read the story, their self-will, their self-interest, their self-absorption, their self-centeredness, but in two different directions. You know, the younger one says, hey, dad, I wish you were dead so I could have your stuff. Give me what's coming to me, and I'll go spend it the way I want to. Self-indulgence was his choice. And it took him to the far country where he would wind up with a wasted life, and he's lonely, and he's angry, and he's hungry. The older brother, who never left home, of course, he never came home either, but he never left home, but he's full of self-righteousness. Here's what he says to the father, all my life, I've been slaving for you, keeping the rules, never disobeyed your orders, verse 29, but you never gave me even a young goat much less sacrifice the fatted calf, but a young goat to party with my friends. You know what that is? I recognize it. It's self-pity. Got to be careful with self-pity because self is still at the center of yourself. <laughs> and self-pity is now driving the show. Here's, here's a son who's familiar with the father's house, but not the father's heart. He's focused on the rules, but he's far from a relationship with the Father. You know, that day listening to these stories, Luke chapter 15, the beginning says that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law in the room listening as Jesus was telling these stories. Religion can be a killer. I think this is what he's trying to help us see. When, when it treats a relationship like God like it's a transactional contract, like God now owes you because you've been so good. And so uh, he, he, you're a good person. I mean, you're a lot better than your brother. And then those other notorious types that are filling the room listen to these stories being told. That's the older brother's opinion. Did you know it's possible? Listen, this is for somebody. It was for me at one time. It's possible to go to church and not know God. Did you know it's possible to grow up in church and not have a personal relationship with God as Father and Savior and friend? 
You know, some people, they're all about the rules. Man, they just feel like God's telling them, you got to keep the rules. And then they, get, they feel sorry for themselves and angry with God. That's this guy. Far, he's far from the Father's joy, far from the Father's love, doesn't want to have anything to do with his Father's forgiveness for his brother, but he's all full of himself. You owe me, and I'm mad at you, and I deserve better than this. Why don't you give me what I deserve? Now, that's a scary thought. You know, God, don't give me what I deserve, please. I, I need mercy. I need better than what I deserve. And that's what the Father offers. But it's entitlement thinking. It's treating your relationship with God as if it's a transactional relationship. Quid pro quo, you know. God, you owe me. I've been, I've been good. You're not treating me right. Poor me. This is the big brother's mad. And he's feeling sorry for himself. And sometimes we do that with God. Jesus says that's a, that's a type of being lost. That's a way of being far from God. On the outside, you look like you're at home, and you look like you're with the Father, but you're not, and the Father knows it, and he wants you to come home. In fact, in the story, the Father goes outside. The big brother wouldn't even come inside to the party, but the Father goes outside to the brother, the big brother, and says, hey, come on in. You know, everything I have is yours, so it's right that we should be happy today. But the brother never comes in. But both of the, you know, both of the sons are distanced from the father because of choices they made. The one that went away from home and the one that stayed home. But both of them far from the father because both of them are full of self. And their choices were what took them there. So here's the thing. If you've ever felt like God wasn't giving you what you want, then Jesus could be talking about you in this story. But what is it he wants me to see? That was the request early, right? I thought this was going to be about happy, Bill. Where are the happy endings? You know, uh, How do I get to a happy ending from here? Well, what a great question. It's the question Jesus wants us to ask because Jesus tells a story where he says, everybody deserves a celebration. Everybody know how far they are from God. When they are found by God, they deserve a celebration with God. And no one knows better than God does the outcome of our choices and of our nature and our circumstance and where they're going to lead us, what dead end we're going to wind up on. Nobody knows that like God does and wants to get us out of that. Proverbs 15, 11, death and destruction are open before the Lord always. He always sees them. How much more human hearts it's like God is just watching to see when will your heart turn so that he can show up faithful to your faith and then bring you into the joy. But that moment, that moment of truth is where it's got to happen. God sees more clearly than any of us. If we stay on our current trajectory and it is away from God, then happy is not what you're going to find. But he also wants us to see and to feel what he wants if you're willing to let yourself be found, to let yourself be rescued, to let yourself be restored, to let yourself be redeemed. I'll explain that in a moment. But Christianity is not religious behavior modification where you try to be a good person so God will bless you and then give you, to heaven, give you heaven someday. 
It is letting the Savior rescue you from your peril and, uh, and give you new purpose to live every day, guided and guarded in his flock. It is God, it's letting the Lord restore you when you've been a victim of circumstance and he finds you as a precious treasure and puts you in your rightful position again so that you can add value and make meaningful contribution to life. That's where the joy comes. And then it's letting him, letting the Father welcome you all the way home. Not just in pretense and not just in duty but in heart so that he can redeem you to the fullness of your identity as his child, which is what redeeming grace is all about. Now, lost people, people who are far from God, and when I was far from God, I never thought of God as somebody who would want to throw a party for me. I don't know when you think of God what thought comes to mind, but that one didn't make the top of my list. I thought a lot about anger and punishment and, you know, other stuff, but that God would want me and want to have a party for me and want to celebrate me and restore me and rescue me, but that's what the story's about. God doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to save you. God doesn't want to um, judge you. He wants to, this says, satisfy you. His holiness must judge sin. It's part of his character. But his heart wants us home. So how does he do it? Well, he comes in himself, and he puts it all on the line. To redeem is a financial term. It means to buy, to purchase out of slavery. It was used to set slaves free. So when we say God wants to redeem you by his grace, it means that he put it all on the table all that he had, all that he is, and say, you're worth it. It means to purchase out of bondage. And that's what Christ does with his blood for us. And then he fills us with his spirit, the new wardrobe that we're to wear forward. And, um, and then invites us to the party to share his happy. That's how God is, Jesus says. Is that what you think of when you think about God? I, I believe Jesus told us these stories so that people like me, maybe people like you, would start thinking about God in different ways because we don't typically think about God the right way. This is the way Jesus said, this is how God is. You gotta think about God in a new way. You gotta be willing to change the way you think so that he can change the trajectory of your life if you're willing to let him. And he could do it now. And here's a prayer I'd like to suggest, perhaps for you. Find me, Lord. I'm open. I'm willing. <laughs> Help me think of you in new ways. Guide me to know who I am as your child. Not a wandering sheep, not a lost valuable, not a rebellious son but to enter into all that you have for me. I want to enter in to all that you have for me. That's where the joy comes from. The joy inexpressible, the joy full of, joy, of glory. To be happy in Jesus is to be fully found 
It means to be fully embraced, fully accepted, fully blessed. It means to be connected and received and celebrated by God and all of the angels in heaven because the one who rejoicing the most is God. And then that spills out into the angels and then into our hearts and our families and bubbles up. He's just stretching the imagination to the limit to say, you can't imagine how God is happy when you turn and come to his heart with all of yours. And every, you know, children help us remember what happy is. This one came in from our church online, wanted you to see it. Um, and then maybe celebrate with our little dulce. Worship joy. mentoring and some worship leading is happening there. Maybe there's some joy in the future that's coming. Has your heart been happy for a while? Are you willing to let the Father meet you where you are and then bring you into his joy? Jesus wants us to know that God gets happy and he wants to put his happy in you. But what this means is it doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle with the challenges of our nature and of our circumstances and of our choices. That's where spiritual growth kicks in and we start growing to be more like him. But it does mean that as we grow and when those challenges come, you won't be far from God. He will be with you. With you as Jesus, Emmanuel for you as the heavenly Father who's believing in who you truly are, and in you as the Holy Spirit who is your comforter, your counselor, the one who fills you with joy so that the joy of the Lord can be your strength. I'm remembering a, a guy who one day said to a, a woman he saw, uh, isn't it beautiful? Is it a gorgeous day? And she said, yeah, but it's raining somewhere. See, some people just carry their storm cloud around with them. Don't be that lady. Don't be the big brother. You owe me. Why don't we just come tenderly to the Father and invite him to meet us right where we are? Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, that though we get far away from you, you're not far from, from any of us, that you are close and ready to come to our rescue, to restore us where we've been devalued, and to fully redeem us by the blood of your Son on the cross, the gift of salvation and forgiveness. We just want to say thank you for all that you've done and are doing. Bring us closer to your heart, closer to your home, and fill us with your joy that we might be vessels of it for others these days. And friend, if you are wondering, how can I begin a relationship with God? Just invite him. Find me, Lord, now. I open my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me for my sins. I receive the gift of salvation 
by faith and thank you as I make my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.